Welcome to the Clear Points Podcast, where we discuss optimizing customer experience by focusing on engagement points along the customer journey. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health, a North Carolina consulting firm that helps healthcare providers and life sciences companies get to know their patients, customers, and key stakeholders and meet their needs more effectively. Clear Points airs on the ParkLife Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Clear Points Podcast, Episode 5. This is Brian Castle, your humble host, and today we're back with two of my favorite people in the whole wide world, my colleagues, Kristen Smithwick, Chief Operating Officer, Consultant Extraordinaire, and our Vice President of Research, who's a first-time caller to the podcast, uh, Aaron Portman. Good afternoon, folks. Hey, hey, Brian. So happy to see y'all. Happy New Year. Um, It's going to be a big year for us and anybody we're fortunate enough to do business with this year because we've got a lot of smart stuff we're cooking up. Um, Today, I'm excited to have the two of you on to uh, talk about a couple of uh, important areas of our work, Um, among other areas. in his role as VP of research, Aaron leads some pretty critical work for biopharma companies in helping them uh, in, in some very strategic and compliant ways find the right people for promotional speaking for their speakers' bureaus. Um, and then Kristen and I, Now that she's back on the podcast porch in a rocking chair, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the again the rise of uh, digital opinion leadership and how our client companies, who are all rushing to join the fray, uh, could benefit from hitting the pause button and uh, really thinking about this space. Uh, more strategically before acting. Aaron, you know, you have one of the best um, backgrounds for somebody who works with us. Um, I know you started your career working in more clinical settings and you've obviously, uh, you've, you've come to your work armed with uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, academic firepower as well. And then you've also worked in industry uh, doing some of the mission critical work, uh, managing clinical trials. And um, I, I think it brings a pretty unique perspective uh, to our work at ClearPoint. How has that background, like tell us a little, first tell us a little bit about your background. And then I, I want to talk a little bit about how it influences your work. Well, I think I think like a lot of people in uh, in research and clinical research and this type of research that we do, uh, kind of come here through some sort of twisted path. And I, I think, as you mentioned, I've kind of been around uh, in healthcare in some capacity for about 25 years uh, now, um, starting way back when you know going to college, wanted to be uh, be a physician. Um, so I have a little bit of a scientific background from wanting to pursue that. 
changed gears for, you know, some life, uh, life things that happened and changed gears and went kind of more towards research. Uh, but during that time I was, um, you know, I basically started out working in a uh, level one trauma center. Um, I grew up in Seattle. And so that was uh, Harborview medical center there in, in Seattle, a large, uh, urban, uh, level one trauma center, uh, actually worked, um, uh, in the operating room, uh, there, um, and when I graduated college, uh, I had moved uh, out here to Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, where I basically kind of did the same thing, went into the University of Utah uh, operating room and was a, you know, a technician there. Uh, but as I was kind of rounding out my education after, after uh, you know, my uh, bachelor's degree, went into, decided to take a turn into research, uh, pursued a master's of public health Um did that, which kind of got me more into more of the clinical research side. And from there, uh, you know, the logical thing was to go uh, into then clinical research, uh, conducting clinical trials with, with uh, principal investigators um, and actually doing, doing the clinical trial work just kind of naturally led uh, to the management uh, of, of those clinical trials, um, uh, first at kind of an NIH setting and then uh, in, in pharma. Um, where I had uh, been a you know a field-based uh, employee uh, within within uh, you know mid-sized uh, pharma, uh, part of the clinical operations group, uh, clinical field operations, uh, where we essentially uh, managed uh, the work that was going on on our studies uh, out out in the field uh, to support uh, new drug development. Kind of had uh, early on learned I, I liked kind of the more uh, management issues, you know, the pro- project management side of of uh, trials and kind of moved into that role was sort of a natural fit uh, for managing, uh, you know, phase two and large global phase three uh, clinical trials. And so I did that uh, for, uh, you know, about 10 years in pharma um, and then in, in uh, you know, other organizations supporting uh, pharma uh, research, uh, you know, contract research organizations. Uh, anyway, ended up coming into uh, this side. I mean, this this uh, uh, this company was a it was an opportunity to go a bit beyond some of the more clinical development type uh, drug development side of of, of things to uh, working a little bit more with uh, pre-launch and just immediate post-launch of of uh, new products working with, uh, you know, with medical affairs groups and, and then a little, little further on and with the, with commercial groups basically to support um, uh, newly developed medications. So it, it's been interesting. I think my background, I've kind of skipped, I've seen the whole, uh, the gamut of, of uh, you know, drug development uh, in terms of back into uh, clinical trials. Um, but you know the skills and the the interest has been in the management of, of projects and, and pushing things forward, and that just kind of naturally uh, fits into uh, some of this uh, later phase uh, stuff that uh, I get the opportunity to do here uh, at the company. Do you find that um, that quite extensive background and and as you walked us through it just now, I realized I'd it's it's such a deep background and so diverse. I realize I'd forgotten some of it through the years now that we've known each other about five or six years. Do you find that 
it brings in like a, any extra layers of insight um, to your work. I mean, I, you know, everything from identifying key opinion leaders to as we, you know, help clients map out centers of excellence or entire health systems uh, to your work, you know, leading the speaker bureau stuff. Do you find that all that background, I think an obvious thing that comes to my mind is, you know firsthand what's on the line for these folks. Uh, what else does it bring to mind as you think about how you qualified yourself to do this work over two decades? Well, I think, you know, unintentionally it gave me, it gave me access to a wide variety of therapeutic areas um, to, you know, that just kind of built a foundation of, of my understanding of, of uh, you know, what, what's involved in uh, different disease states and, and who are the appropriate treaters and who, you know, what are the appropriate centers um, and even, you know, to some extent what you know, the, the appropriate treatments are. Uh, and so, like I said, that just kind of happened without, without ever any plan to do so that, you know, you just build upon that um, to, to come up with um, uh, this foundation that, that sets, it just makes doing some of this stuff kind of a no brainer for me. Right. I, I can go into, uh, you know, into, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, hematology project and understand, I, I know whether it's, uh, you know, hemophilia or whether it's, it's leukemias or those kind of things. I just kind of know, uh, the background of, of, of what, what treatments are involved, you know, bone marrow, uh, transplant, that kind of thing, D different, uh, different things appropriate to, uh, different therapeutic areas that, you know, just, just kind of came, came, came to me through, through my, uh, experience, but it, it helps, you know, when I'm reviewing teams work and kind of making sure things make sense from a client's perspective, baselining with a client, what are they looking for? Uh, you know, uh, you know, if it's an oncology client and I may know that, you know, it's more of a, like a medical oncology appropriate, uh, treatment, um, you know, want to make sure they're not interested in knowing who the surgical oncologists are or the radiation oncologists or the, you know, the pathologist, because there's a, a wide variety of players that, uh, play, uh, you know, play parts in, in the treatment of these patients. And for, for different reasons, different clients may want to know, um, you know, whether it's, it's patient, patient care, uh, flow, you know, whether they're referral, uh, you know, referral patterns through surgical oncologists, for instance. Um, it, uh, again, just, uh, I think, uh, the background in has just continually built upon itself layers of, of things that just seem to, uh, uh fit, fit our needs here and fit our clients needs, uh, well. You know, I think one of the things that I would add to what Aaron has said about his own experience and how that's helped is that with our work, it's not just combing databases and being able to analyze data, which, you know, in, in today's very technically advanced world, you can write codes to do a lot of that analysis. What Aaron's background really brings to the table is that scientific ability to see nuances in the data and then to mat match that with the really important nuances of how a customer's product is going to help their patients. And that, that you know, you can't replicate that with technology. You can't replicate that with people who have, haven't necessarily had that deep scientific background. I mean, you know, 
I'm pretty sure, Aaron, every project we've worked on together, if it, it it's some area he studied before, <laughs> he automatically knows all of these little bits of detail about not just, you know, how it gets treated, but what are the other products out there and who's really kind of the point person from the patient standpoint. That's a really um, un, unmatchable skill he brings. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Chris. And I think, you know, what, what our team brings is uh, just putting an eye on the data, a human eye. Uh, anyone can give uh, data dumps and they can hook up to the same databases we use, you know, whether it's uh, publications, databases, clinical trials, databases, um, you know, it, it's really our group that, that takes that data. They, you know, we uh, put it together in a, in a metadata f- way, put it together, see who comes to the top. Then you got to look through it and make sure it's the right thing and not just everything that uh, comes out on specific disease keywords, because you're not going to, you're going to get tons of stuff that's not the appropriate kind of, uh, whether it's a provider or a researcher uh, that a particular client is looking for. So really uh, the word I think we throw around a bit uh, is that we really curate that data. We don't just dump it. We curate it. we, We clean it. We take a look at it. We take out what we're not looking for, maybe add if we see some gaps. Um, but we curate that data specifically to what to what our clients are looking for. And uh, I think that that's what, in my opinion, that's what sets us apart and sets our work apart, um, that, that personal touch on top of, uh, you know, the data bit. I didn't say this specifically. Yeah, I'm a data geek. I love data and I love putting together visualizations and ways of making the data pop. Uh, and I do that because I understand what the client wants to see so I can make that kind of stuff come together uh, and pop. Part of our work, as we mentioned, um, involves, you know, helping uh, our clients select the right physicians and other types of healthcare providers to do promotional speaking. And this is one of those areas that can be tough for all stakeholders to navigate ethically. Um, So, you know, you lead this work and I know, you know, this is part of our foundational values from our three founders um, that we'll either do it right or not do it at all. So how do you uh, try to ensure integrity and, and that we're doing things ethically when we help our clients in this area? So, you know, that's a different, another side of the coin of what we do here, as you you mentioned, which is uh, to, I just mentioned that we take a subjective look at data, which we do, uh, but we also have clients who need, uh, they're looking for, like you mentioned, promotional speakers or other, other consultants and those kind of things. They want us to, you know, to uh, look for uh, people who are leaders in their area. Uh, so whether they're clinical leaders or academic leaders, whether they're professional society leaders, um, and whether they're publishing and doing clinical trials and, you know, writing treatment guidelines, talking at conferences, um, you know, that's all well and good. That's all great stuff. That's all a qualification, but you also need someone who has good clinical experience in the therapeutic area. So, I mean, you need to, uh, come up with, uh, uh, an objective way of putting all that data together and scoring it and giving people, uh, you know, points for having these leadership attributes, but they also have points for experience in the area. Um, and, 
and you know you want to know that they are experienced at speaking too if you're looking for a speaker you don't want someone who you know has uh, has not spoken much is not really an engaging speaker you want you want that perfect picture that perfect person who is has all of those qualities they're leaders in their field they're leaders in the scientific area but they're also engaging to listen to and and they have the clinical experience and you feel you know the providers who go and attend their sessions can feel like they're going to walk away uh, with the knowledge of how better to treat uh, you know that disease state and how that comes from a leader in the field as well as someone that was you know gets them kind of energized and makes them understand why this particular product uh, is a difference maker uh, for uh, for patients and so I think that that um, you know it, it helps the field overall by being able to disseminate that knowledge through leaders, through engaging leaders, and that makes it all the way to the patients. And the patients get, uh, you know, the patients get access to that better care, and by proxy, uh, get access to, uh, you know, the opinions of, of of leaders in the field. This type of work, I mean, it's obvious that it benefits the pharmaceutical company or the biotech company that has a speakers bureau, but. So it obviously benefits them if they have somebody who's credible talking to other people about their products. But you see this also on the patient side and from a public health perspective, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's uh, that's what I mean. You take the you take the people with those leadership attributes who are also interested in, uh, you know, and, and have the right foundational understanding uh, of, uh, you know, the newest product that is you know, beneficial to, to the community in, at a, at a, in general, beneficial to whether it's public health, if it's some, you know, more of a chronic disease, diabetes or obesity, uh, you know, that trickles down to public health type stuff, uh, as well as, um, uh, you know, just, just medical care, uh, in general, bettering, bettering the medical care of those, of those patient populations. Virtual engagement is more than sending someone a Zoom invitation. Your customers and key external experts may be evolving in their engagement preferences, and our work shows that they will often point the way forward to better solutions and engagement frameworks. Head to www.clearpointhealth.com today. One of the great pleasures of my professional life is leading the Digital Insights Initiative with Kristen uh, here at Clearpoint. I think it's safe to say there's a bit of a gold rush going on right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's converge, converging factors, right? It's, it's the, there's a now a critical mass of folks uh, out there talking uh, healthcare and medical uh, in social and digital media. Where would you start? You know, if you if you had to think about this space and everything we've been saying to people, and what they've been saying to us, more importantly. Right. Well, you know, I think there's an. If I were, you know, our in our clients' shoes, and I when I talk about our clients, I'm really talking about as you said, those clients who are in the medical affairs. You know, parts of their company 
their directives are, you know, trying to create relationships with medical thought leaders. And that can certainly run the gamut of, of, you know, what we mean by that. But if I were in their shoes, I'd probably have two paths that I would take right away. This, this is, this digital social media space is, um, it's, it's hot and it's kind of usually tackled by parts of the company that can be a little riskier and they can move faster. And medical affairs cannot do either of those things. So they've got to be really purposeful in the, in the plans that they make. So I think number one, I would probably, um, to use a political reference here, reach across the aisle. <laughs> I've talked with my colleagues in marketing to try to understand how they have been using social media and digital platforms, not necessarily to engage with customers as much to extend brand identity information, educate potential consumers, as well as customers in the medical space. And then I would immediately pull together a cross-functional team of stakeholders with you know a large number of those stakeholders coming from the medical affairs department that would include field medical executive medical affairs leadership and then I'd invite our, some of my colleagues from marketing clinical development even um, even maybe even the sales front to try to create a strategy for what that really defines what success looks like in medical affairs in using social and digital platforms to engage medical thought leaders. I think what, you know, we were talking about the other day, Brian, is that we're seeing that these directives are coming down and it's got, you know, these kind of centralized teams of medical affairs groups that are trying to identify digital social media leaders and then rush to engage them on the platforms with really not a lot of definition about about what that looks like at all. (laughs) So I take a breath, ask for some, you know, best practices from the other folks in my company, and then, you know, try to pull up that cross-functional team to come up with a strategy and a plan. Because there are going to be infrastructure changes for medical affairs to be able to really use digital and social media in effective ways for relationships building so if you were to if somebody came to you if you ran into a vp of medical affairs and they said to you okay if i if i hired you what would be the three to five steps you would take to do this right what would you do first and then we'll kind of talk about the rest well, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about planning, and that would still be my number one first step, and I, because I think you you kind of you get what you plan for. But I think that the very next thing I would do is, you know, once I had defined the what, what was I hoping to do on social media or digital platforms, um, you know, with my stakeholders, my external stakeholders. Once I had defined that, I think that the very next step would be to create the infrastructure. Medical affairs doesn't have an infrastructure to do digital and social media. Um, I'm going to use the word engagement, and and that could be used really loosely here because engagement could be relationship building or it could just be 
delivering scientific data in some kind of an exchange way without relationship building. But there's no infrastructure for this. You know, we've got people sitting in field medical that have science degrees. They are former physicians. They are former pharmacists. They are former nurses. They came to the job because they've got scientific and medical knowledge, not because they've got, uh, you know, a lot of expertise around creating great content and um, putting great content out in social media and digital platforms. And so I would determine, you know, what's the right structure for my company? And I think that could be different from one company to the next. I personally think for most medical affairs, for this moment, where they are right now, it would be better to have a dedicated team where you've got people who you bring in with expertise in digital and social media engagement, and they become kind of your central force for whatever you decide to do on those platforms. But I think the other part of the infrastructure is that medical affairs has a real need to review and kind of rubber stamp, not just rubber stamp, but to put a stamp of approval on the content that gets, you know, exchanged with not just medical thought leaders, but with anybody. And right now that the infrastructure for that function takes a while. There are, there's a review process and then you know, someone's got to approve it. And then, and then they've got to disseminate the approved content. And then people who share the content can't change the content. <laughs> And once you've gone through that, you've missed the opportunity in the digital and social media world. So they've got to have some kind of a review structure that can move faster at the speed of social media. So that's the other piece of infrastructure I would change. It's it's one of those things like a lot of our work, we just need to figure out the nuances of what we're going after in the research. But with this stuff, you really need to figure out where you're going, why you're going, what you're going to do when you get there. Absolutely. You know, I've got, I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan, big. And um, in 2020, second half of 2020, one of their skits kind of went viral was Sarah Lee, um, social media manager, who was in charge of posting content on the social media Instagram page. And he accidentally started posting his own content kind of got confused between the two accounts and you know I don't obviously I don't think any company's gonna make that mistake but but it illustrates that if you make a mistake in what you're putting out there on social media and then the, on these digital platforms it can have a ripple effect on the damage it can do to your reputation as a company so the stakes are high and you asked me about my, my, my kind of the, my top three steps. And I think after I did the planning, got some outside thinking, got my infrastructure straight, the, the next thing I would do is I would, I would go out and try to understand what's the activity level in digital and social media in my area of interest. Because, you know, we're kind of in this space right now where we think, everybody's doing stuff digitally and in, on social media. Everybody's talking about everything. And in reality, they're still not. Well, you know, we've looked at a whole bunch of therapeutic areas. And in some, it's an ocean. In others, it's like one of the Great Lakes. And in others, it's like a pond in your backyard. And so 
that's another reason if you if you don't have the wherewithal to figure that out, like it took us a little while to figure that out. And this is what we do, right? So I'm not expecting somebody in a client company, but those are the kind of things we'll be able to tell you quickly. And that obviously helps you scale and scope your efforts and not, not overspend and over 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 engineer anything, nor obviously in some of those uh, Great Lakes and ocean level therapeutic areas under under it. You know, if I you know I'd want to have that data to understand the, the scope of activity, but I'd want to monitor it for a little bit. You know, and I, I'm not talking about long periods of time. Because in this space, so much happens so quickly when it is happening. So, you know, just a few months, you know, probably one, two or three months. I'd want to monitor. I don't want to I want to my activity level. I would have wanted to scope out over a certain period of time, probably one or two years just to get a sense. Is this an activity level that stayed pretty steady? Has it been steadily rising? Is it going down? Has it kind of shot up out of nowhere? Um, but then I'd want to monitor for one to three months and see how does that activity continue in that shorter time frame? And who are the people driving conversations? What's the nature of the conversation? What does the content look like that's getting shared on various platforms? Because then I think I would be able to create a better um, communication plan that would fit the what I've defined and match the infrastructure. Um, and maybe those things actually are kind of happening in parallel because all of the activity monitoring and the, that data can help you inform your infrastructure as well. So you know, those are the big steps I'd take. In fact, Brian, I was meeting with a client just the other day that was wrestling with this. That's the advice I gave her. I mean, I said, you know, I'd slow down just, just a little bit. Arm yourself with some information here. And it'll make every plan you put together that much more likely to succeed. I think the last thing I would add to that to cap off the discussion is remember you're you're in the digital space, but these are still people. And so and they are people who are hard at work as providers, as medical researchers. Some might be medical journalists, but they're all passionate about what they do. They're also passionate about sharing information, sharing clinical expertise and knowledge. And so if you're trying to fit in their world, there needs to be some empathy there. And there needs to be a formal mechanism, you know, for a feedback loop and not not just do you enjoy working with us, but is this helping you, you know, meet your objectives for what you're trying to do in your career, in your professional pursuits? Um, I'm, st- I'm still uh, uh, optimistic enough to believe that the vast majority of people that get involved in the healthcare space do so not just because it's lucrative, stable, and almost always growing, but because they want to help people. Again, it goes back to like all these companies and industry are always saying patients first uh, and always 
trying to be empathetic, do it here too. Absolutely. It'll only improve your efforts moving forward. 100% agree. Well, thanks to Aaron and Kristen for joining us for episode five of the Clear Points podcast. See you next time. Goodbye. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to Clear Points on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you won't miss our next episode coming soon. Clear Points is a production of Clearpoint Health and the Park Life Podcast Network.